and welcome once again to Raging and Eating. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, owner and executive chef of the Raging Skillet in New York, bleep, 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 city. And how are you? I don't know. Maybe you're not doing okay right now. Certainly, if you're Jewish, you're probably not doing okay right now. It's been a rough, rough bit of time. But I'm starting to dwell on hope. Hope is a powerful thing. I was just doing some reading about this in the plight to happiness and survival. You know, um, in my reading, I discovered that optimism... But it's great to be optimistic. It's a powerful, wonderful thing. But what's more powerful is hope. Hope is really a powerful thing. And I have found myself recently singing the national anthem for Israel just because it's so sad. And I need to just channel that. And the National Anthem is actually a song about hope. It's about survival and hope, hope for a better tomorrow, hope for a time of peace and serenity. And so I find myself singing it. And I'll spare you, you know, because I'm not a singer. But if you're not in the know, it's a beautiful song, the National Anthem. It's called Hatikva. Um, and instead of listening to me sing it, just Google Barbara Streisand singing it. Oh, Barbara, the queen. How I've always loved you, Barbara. I remember being a little girl and loving Barbara. And I really remember being a punk rocker when I was a teenager. And I guess in a lot of ways I still am. Certainly still dress like I am. And so my persona was a Sex Pistols ripped up t-shirt with safety pins. But behind closed doors when no one was listening, it was Barbara that I was listening to. Oh, I love the woman. My girlfriend Lila and I had the pleasure of going to see Barbara twice. We had to. When she finally made it to Brooklyn, how could I not? at the Barclay Center in Brooklyn. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience, except it was the most money I ever spent on tickets in my life. All right, I take that back. I did have the honor and the pleasure and profound everything of seeing Tony Bennett in his very last concert, and that was with Lady Gaga. And I love you, Gaga. I love you love you, Tony. But my heart still belongs to Barbara. Barbara, I love you. Anyway, when I was going through times of trouble, I used to have this song of Barbara's I would sing all the time. On a clear day, for some reason that song just resonated with me. I remember going through a horrible breakup and I walked up and down the beach in Fire Island in Cherry Grove, Fire Island just belting it loudly and no one could hear me because I was walking along the crashing waves 
and just belting it on a clear day. Rise and look around you, and you can see forever and ever. I just keep going, and ever, and about a thousand more evers. Anyway, it just helped me. So, here we are. Last night, I catered a wedding in a firehouse. Well, it wasn't an active firehouse, I don't think, but it was certainly had been a firehouse. It was a really cool space. They still had, they kept the structure and the fire hoses and everything. It was pretty cool. And it was a Jewish wedding, and a lot of the guests were in Israel. So during the ceremony, they performed it on Zoom also, so that the family that was in Israel could watch it. And the rabbi said something I remembered, something I've told my clients many times. Back in 9-11, just weeks, really, after September 11th, maybe it was like three weeks later, I was catering a wedding for a wonderful couple. Groom was an artist, is still an artist, very talented, bride wonderful. Kind of forgot what she did for a living, but she was really cool. And we were to cater this wedding, and the bride and groom didn't know what to do. I mean, we just had the worst atrocity ever. All of those people lost, I mean, terrible. And they thought that maybe they should cancel their wedding. And they did some research. And they came across, I think it was their rabbi who helped them find it, a lesson from the Talmud, that said, when a funeral procession and a wedding procession meet at an intersection, the wedding procession has the right of way. And the thinking is, that in the worst of times, in the most painful of times, hope and renewal and love should be the one that has the right of way. Think about that. So when I was in the kitchen, the speakers for the ceremony, the ceremony was in another room last night, and the rabbi reminded the couple of this very same lesson. The wedding procession has the right of way. Love and renewal. You know, it's all about that family love. Renewal, joy. Give that a chance. Let that have the right of way. And I held that in my heart all night while I was catering this wedding. And I gotta say, it should have been a very easy wedding to cater. But Lord, that kitchen was a nightmare. Normally we have a fair amount of space. But in this case, we were in a kind of a long, narrow path, and everyone had to go back and forth, you know, past us. And we were behind what you call pipe and drape, which are these curtains. And when the guests all came in for the cocktail hour, they kept leaning on the curtains and many times knocking things over on me, an entire tray of food fell on me all over my uniform and my jeans. I felt like I was in the in um, the exorcist, you know, it looked I looked like I was in the exorcist. So I was getting downright grumpy. 
I think I had things fall on me like three or four times. And a few times I'd drop things and turn sideways. There was a waiter behind me and things flew, you know. It was really feeling claustrophobic and grumpy and trying really hard not to be evil. But there were a few little moments when I was starting to crack. And I would go back to that lesson and kind of hold that in my heart. The wedding procession has the right of way. So there we are. It's been an interesting, I don't want to say interesting, it's been a horrible, heartbreaking time, but interesting in some ways, in that through times of trouble, goodness does come out. I remember the amazing kindness of New Yorkers after 9-11. It lasted, I, I timed it, it lasted about three weeks, where people would open the door for you, where people would smile at you, strangers would nod. People were just incredibly kind. And then, I think it was three weeks later, the fire department and the police department started fighting with each other. And it sort of ushered the end of that. I remember I was on my way to work one day, still feeling, you know, still feeling everything that I felt since 9-11. And still feeling that urge to be kind and loving to everyone. And some person was walking by and nearly walked me right off into the street. And I was like, what, it's over? And it was over. But at least we had the three weeks. So I'm feeling an urge to be kind and loving and like that and to need it too. What I've been noticing is a lot of great people have been reaching out to me. And a lot of Jewish people in my life, some that I'm very close friends with, and I have been late at night, just a couple of nights ago, we were messaging each other on Facebook and on text message, how are you, are you okay? This one really amazing woman, I catered her wedding some years ago, and we've stayed in touch, fabulous couple, with adorable, adorable little boys. And the bride had the best parents in the universe. And I've stayed really chummy with them, especially her mother, Mama Etty, and the bride, Gabrielle. Oh my God, just love them. Anyway, Gabrielle was Facebook messaging me late in the night. Well, not, I'm not talking midnight. I'm talking, it was like after nine, you know, these days that feels late. I know, I'm square, I've gotten old, nine o'clock is late. But messages of support from everywhere, very, very sweet, loving messages. And I dwell on that. So in my reading that I've been doing about the quest for happiness, uh, not the quest, you can't really search for happiness. You have to kind of let it be. The search could be, that could make you unhappy. But something I was reading, which is that it's very easy to dwell on bad memories. I mean, it's almost, for me, it's almost easier. I grew up um, with that you always dwell on the bad, you complain, you suffer, you roll in the suffering, you make people feel guilty over it. That was my childhood. So I find myself replaying over and over and over some terrible memories. And it really is not a healthy thing to do. So 
what I was reading is to not forget them. Sometimes those are important parts of our life. But maybe to change that slide projector in my brain to replace some good memories, to replace them. So I've started to do that just to kind of check it out. I found myself in a slide projector reel in my head over and over again of those images of the terrible, terrible massacre that happened in Israel. Something I'll never forget and never should forget. But is it healthy or productive to constantly replay it over and over and over and over in my brain like a hamster wheel? I don't think so. So I'm searching for things to replace it with. I'm not saying I'm going to forget. Of course not. I mean, I don't know how long it'll take for that heartache to go away. I don't think it ever will. But I'm saying that to go out into the world and to live a happy, joyful life and be loving, it's healthy to find something else to think about. Let's just break up that hamster wheel. And you've done that, right? Get caught in a hamster wheel that you just couldn't seem to stop. So here's what I'm doing, and it seems to be working. Just replacing it. So here's some memories just shooting out that give me incredible joy and happiness the moment I think of them. My mother had this talent when we were on the beach. We loved the beach. We were a beach family. We grew up near the ocean. So we'd all be on the beach. She would bring an enormous amount of food. There were always cheese sandwiches with mustard and American cheese. There were always all sorts of things, halva bars and carob bars and all Jewishy kinds of things. I don't really remember what it was. I just remember the cheese sandwiches. But she always had all this food, so we'd be playing in the ocean. And the Jersey Ocean was always rough, so you had to be careful. And you get hit by a wave a few times, you're exhausted. But we'd be playing with the ocean, then we'd be wrecked from getting hit by the waves and the water in your ear, exhausted. We'd collapse onto our big blanket. We never seemed to have beach chairs. My mother would have a beach chair, but we were always all on the big blanket. My mother would feed us an enormous amount of food, and then we would just be exhausted. We'd wind up fast asleep and my mother would cover us up with towels I I remember being completely covered in towels it was getting a little bit chilly we were exhausted and full my mother just pet me on the back and would sing to me her silly songs and I would fall into the deepest most wonderful sleep of my life and the songs my mother sang were so silly and so 1940s and so G-rated, you know, but it was just wonderful. She had this one song she used to sing all the time. Down in the valley and over the fence, you bring the bucket and I'll bring ten cents. Sweet apple cider and sweeter compliments. Down in the valley and over the fence. I don't know. Silly and stupid, right? But part of incredible joy. It was a great memory I'm pulling up and replaying and replaying and replaying. I have another one about my beautiful friend 
Oh, my sister of the soul, my best friend for such a long time, Susie Leon, who I call Starlight. She called herself Starlight, too, and really, she was Starlight. I have wonderful memories with her in my childhood, singing and dancing to Todd Rundgren with that incredible smile. Then I have a recent memory from 2018, when the play about my life, Raging Skillet, which has been on a tour, I wouldn't say a tour, but it's been to at least seven theaters around the country, including Off-Broadway, and we'll have an Off-Broadway permanent run one day soon, so stay tuned about that, because that'll definitely happen. But it came to Rochester, New York, in the winter at the Center Stage Theater. Shout out to you, Rochester. Now, Rochester, New York is a fairly cold place, but in the winter, really cold. Anyway, so there was snow and it was cold. And I was spending the weekend in a hotel there to be there to see and experience the joy of the play and support the cast and welcome my friends who came to see it. And you know, people love you. And they're willing to fly or drive from Manhattan to Rochester, New York, and spend the night to see a play about your life. They do. So beautiful Starlight, Susie Starlight, came with her amazing life partner and boyfriend, Dave. Shout out to you, Dave. And I remember standing outside the theater where there was a sign that said Raging Skillet, with Susie and we were hugging and loving each other and laughing and there was freezing and there was snow on the ground and just amazing and then I sat in the theater with her and there is a part of the play a couple of lines in the play which also came from my book The Raging Skillet and if you never read it go buy it and read it it's a fabulous read trust me but get ready for my new book coming out in April, too. And I digress, of course. But anyway, this part of the book and part of the play where um, Susie's mother calls my mother, because I used to write poetry when in high school, hung out with Susie all the time. My God, I loved her. She was so amazing. We lost Susie last year. Horribly and sadly, we lost her. Far too young. Beautiful angel. But I talk to her all the time. And I'm not crazy. A little bit in a good way. But it was actually her mother who finally got me booted out of the house. Because I was trying really hard to get thrown out. Because when I used to run away, my parents would always come find me. But I thought if I could get thrown out, they wouldn't come find me. And so I used to write poetry all the time, and I would give them, give the poems to Susie. And her mom found one of my poems, and she decided I was trying to seduce her daughter. I really wasn't. It was a beautiful, innocent, loving friendship. And I was so naive. I didn't know how to seduce anyone anyway. And, you know, thinking back about it, I probably was a little bit in love with her at that time but more in love with our friendship. It was just gorgeous and beautiful and innocent and beautiful and 
Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I know I keep saying beautiful. Anyway, her mom got me thrown out by calling my mother and saying, Harriet Ross, your daughter is a lesbian. Oh my God, forget it. And that's a whole other story. I ran away. I wound up living with Hasidic Jews. I ran away from that. I got to Manhattan, and I've been there ever since. But I digress, of course, by usual. Anyway, so I got to be with Susie sitting next to her when in the play uh, that was acted out. Harriet Ross, your daughter is a lesbian. I'm nudging her. That's your mother. Oh, she was laughing and loving. And the next day we sat down and we had brunch. And we sat there for, I think, about three hours. Her boyfriend, Dave, lovely guy, came and went, came and went. But we sat there for at least three hours talking and reminiscing and catching up on our lives and feeling again. I felt like when I was a teenager, a huge ball of joy and love. It's a gorgeous thing for Susie Starlight. So I'm replaying that over and over and over again. You can see how well this works. I'll give you one more. There was a TV show that my girlfriend Lila and I used to watch but my favorite part of the TV show was the theme song. And whenever the theme song would come on, Lila would dance to it. My girlfriend is a fabulous dancer, I'm telling you. I am not a fabulous dancer. I got rhythm. I could shake my tushy in the proper way. I don't think I dance badly. But Lila is a fantastic dancer. And whenever the theme song was coming on, whether she was in the kitchen or the living room, wherever she was, she would run in and start to do that dance and we would laugh and laugh and it just filled me with so much joy I need to get another show with a good theme song we haven't had a good theme song since that for dancing too anyway so I'm filling myself with joy and joyful memories think about that the next time you're feeling sad the next time you're in that hamster trail loop in your brain that's giving you pain and anxiety and heartache you're in a bad breakup. Pull out a fabulous, joyful memory and replay that instead. Just give it a shot. So, I also put a lot of love into the food last night. It was an interesting thing because they had a restaurant. The groom was in love with a restaurant, a barbecue place. So, he wanted to bring in the food from the barbecue place for his dinner. And... The mother, who I loved, wanted me to cater the cocktail hour and have my staff take care of the whole shebang. So it was a little bit weird, but it worked. We actually, we fed them so much food in the cocktail hour, it was amazing to think that they could eat dinner. But these are Jewish people, so of course they could eat dinner. So the cocktail hour was spectacular. I did a whole station, a latke station. And we made the special recipe latkes of the bride, which were like we grated russet potatoes. We peeled them. Some people don't peel them. We did. Grated the russet potatoes, threw it in the, in the Roboku grating machine because, listen, I have a life, right? Threw in onions also. This was a whole kitchen project. Jeremy helped. Manuel helped. I think Manuel might have done the grating. Or maybe Jeremy did. I don't know who. It was all of us together. 
And so we wound up getting the grated potatoes and onions and then really, really, really push the water out of it. And then mix that. You can wring it up in a rag too or a towel. Mix that with salt and pepper and mix that with eggs, with gluten-free flour. And that was the bride's recipe, but I added to it, threw in a ton of potato starch as well. Wrung out a little more moisture, and Alethea, God bless her soul, God bless her soul, she fried these latkes to perfection. I think she was frying latkes for three hours. And they came out extra crispy and gorgeous. You could taste the onion, just the right amount of salt, just the perfect crispness. And so we had this latke station. And so the guests would come and get their latke. And with that, I put out chopped smoked salmon. Think of that, of course, on a latke. Sour cream, of course. My homemade applesauce, which I love making, which I make by cutting up red delicious apples, leaving the peel on, soaking them in water with a two halves of lemon squeezed in it, draining it, and then I cook it in a big dry pan, and I let the apples really scorch, and when they're about halfway there, I put in a generous amount of cinnamon, and I puree that, and it comes out so gorgeous, and what I mix with it is I have some other apples that I've kind of done the same thing with, only pureed the hell out of it, so they're really just a a sauce. Sauce comes by New Yorker. Mix the whole thing together, the red delicious apple sauce. And so we serve that with the latkes. And then, because we're so shishidotting, we also served caviar. I gotta tell you, that is so pricey these days. If I could go back in time, I think I would not have volunteered the caviar. That was a little too expensive for my nerves. But And what we did with the caviar was we served it in a caviar can, but we put that into a large metal bowl with crushed ice, so it sat on the crushed ice and stayed extra cold. And then also some minced red onion. This is all part of the latke station. And also an onion jam that Jeremy made with a few of my secret recipes. So normally the jam would be cooked down the sliced onions and hit it with balsamic vinegar and hit it with brown sugar and some red wine and cook and cook and cook until it really feels like a jam. My secret recipe was Manischewitz Passover Concord Grape Wine. Oh, it makes a gorgeous jam, let me tell you. It's a beautiful thing. So that was a great station. Everyone loved it. Can you imagine a latke station? Just gorgeous. I had a lot of my other heavy hitters, but that was really the winner of the day. I mean, everyone loved my shiitakos, which you make by cooking shiitake mushrooms and cumin and coriander and chili powder, putting them in baby taco shells, which I have someone make for me, but you can get Tostitos, and topping it with salsa fresca, which normally I make with onion and jalapeno, and tomato and lime juice and cilantro and salt and pepper. But this time we added some diced tomatillos and it was gorgeous. So there was a lot of love happening. Yes, I hated the kitchen. Yes, I was getting grumpy. Yes, things kept falling on me. Yes, there was a lot of hazarai. 
but there was a lot of love and a lot of goodness. And the bride was so happy. I gave her a big plate of latkes with applesauce, and she was so happy. She loves my applesauce. And her mother was so happy, and she was full of joy and loved my food. And, you know, it was all about the love. And I'm replaying these great memories, and it really, really, really is filling me with joy. So you try it, too. All right, I'm going to shut up now because I could go on forever. But I wish you love and I wish you joy. And if you're hurting right now, and so many, many people are, put your hand over your heart or your solar plexus and play a beautiful, joyful memory and fill the void with that for a while. We will get through this. This is Rossi for Raging and Eating. And as always... Food is love, and so are you.